You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. They come at night. If you hear them, it's too late. If you see them, you're already dead. They are the ones who rain hellfire. They are the few, but deadly. The women of the 588th Regiment of the Soviet Union. The Night Witches. I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From Empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is for the love of history. Hello, 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 my friend. It's TK, your tour guide to the past, and this is For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. Do you have goosebumps from listening to that intro? Because I do. This topic is very near and dear to my heart, and it's dedicated to my wonderful, strong, smart, and just all-around amazing mother who loves all things women's aviation. Hi, Mom. I love you. She listens to every episode. (laughs) Anyways, back on track. Today, we are talking about the grittiest group of ladies I have come across in a long time, the Soviet Union Night Witches of World War II, the fighter pilots of the 588th Regiment. And you know it's going to be a good episode because night witches sound cool as shit and you add fighter pilot to it, Fighter pilot witches? What the heck? Excuse me while I die of excitement, but there's actually no time for excitement death. We must proceed with the episode. So grab your flight scarf and turn your couch cushions into a cockpit and let's get to it. World War II is one of the most written about historical events in the world. Like, worldwide. I mean, it makes sense since it was a world war, so I'm gonna leave the big World War II explanations to someone who is more knowledgeable than me on the subject. The only two countries we're gonna focus on today are Germany and the Soviet Union. Long story short, World War II is afoot, and Germany and the Soviet Union are going at it. And unfortunately, Germany is just clobbering the Soviet Union. The women who have been left at home at the beginning of the war are pissed. They want to do stuff. They want to help. They want to be on the front lines just like anyone else. But the military gives them a big old middle finger and was like, nah, stay home. But to be fair, Russia was more open to women in the military. There was about 800,000 women that signed up for uh, the war at the end, by the end of it. But 
But people were still not down with combat pilots, and the Soviet Union Air Force was not into this idea. And they were super dicks about everything. They didn't want women anywhere near planes, which we will talk about a little bit more later. The exclusion of women from combat positions didn't last long, however, because of one woman, Colonel Marina Raskova. She was one of the Soviets' first three women pilots at the time, and she began getting letters from women across Russia wanting to join the war effort in any way they could. Just a few years earlier, Colonel Marina Raskova had flown the longest distance by any woman with her two co-pilots and thus became close friends with Stalin, which is a weird (laughs) thing to say. So she had Stalin's ear. She was all up in that man's business and basically berated him over and over again, making him feel kind of dumb that he had half the population of Russia just like chilling at home when they could be helping. And oh, by the way, the Soviet Union has some of the most capable women pilots in the whole gosh darn flag of flag world. So bad move, Stalin. Not letting these ladies join the Soviet Union Air Force. But after a few months of Colonel Marina Raskova annoying the ever-loving shit out of Stalin, he finally agreed to create the 588th Regiment. In October of 1941, several hundred very young women, aged 17 to 26, transferred to the small town of Engels to begin flight training. Every single person in the regiment was a woman, from ground support to staff support, command, pilots, and all that fun military stuff that my dad would be disappointed that I can't remember because he was in the Air Force for 30 years. But Anyways, what I'm trying to say is from the ground up, the 588th was all ladies all the time. In Engels, the future pilots were met by Raskova herself. As one of the first women pilots in the Soviet Union, you can probably guess that Raskova was a no-nonsense kind of lady. Upon arrival, the women were given (laughs) size 42 boots, which is like a super huge size. It's like a 13 in the U.S. and like a 12.5 in the U.K., They all had size 42 boots, and they had to stuff newspapers in the shoes to make them fit. They also had to wear ill-fitting military uniforms made for bulkier soldiers and simply just piece together some kind of uniform, which is like cool beans, Soviet Union Air Force. Why size 42? But anyways, their hair was cut short, and as one of the pilots would recall later on in an interview— We didn't recognize ourselves in the mirror. We saw boys there. But the leaders of the 588th kind of had to be hard asses. This regiment was going to potentially change how women in the Soviet Union and the rest of the world would be allowed to participate in the military. They could not afford any mistakes or to slack off. But big boots and baggy uniforms would not be the only shitty things the Soviet Union's Air Force did to the young women. Picture a fighter plane in your brain. What is it made of? What does it look like? How fast can it go? You've seen World War II movies and documentaries. I know. I know you, you lovely little history nerd. Now take everything you just thought of and throw it in the garbage. That's right, straight into the garbage because what you think 
and what one would hope that fighter pilots and bomb droppers would get are not the planes you are thinking of. When the 588th was established, there wasn't enough modern fighter pilots to go around, but for some reason, there were a shit ton of teeny tiny 1920s biplanes left over from World War I. They were made of wood and (laughs) oiled canvas. I shit you not. One of the pilots in an interview later on recalls being able to poke a hole through the side of a plane with just her finger. If a finger could do that kind of damage, imagine what bullets could do. Little tracer bullets, which weren't explodey bullets, but rather bullets with like little fires at the end so that you could mark a target, i.e. a plane, and you could see the little light coming from the bullet. Not a big deal at all for the big old metal fighter planes because they were made of metal, but a big friggin' friggin' deal for the women of the 588th because that little fire could set their whole plane ablaze. But the bullshittery didn't stop there. I cannot stress to you enough how tiny these planes were. There was enough room for a pilot and a navigator and not much else. The women weren't given parachutes because they were too heavy and would decrease the number of bombs they could carry with them. In the cockpit itself, the women could only carry a flashlight, a map, a compass, and a pistol as their air combat weapon. A freaking pistol. They would occasionally carry some grenades on their lap, but that was only in special occasions. It was bare bones up there, and there was no insulation in the cockpit either. Sometimes it could drop as low as 0 degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit in the cockpit. Frostbite was real, and many a pilot and navigator lost a toe or a finger to it. And to just really put the icing on top of the shit cake, these little Poliparkov U-2 biplanes had a top speed (laughs) of only 94 miles per hour or about 150 kilometers an hour and the lowest speed of 68 miles per hour, which is about 109 kilometers per hour. And I know what you're thinking, friend. TK, is it really that bad? Let me just... Let me just tell you what these ladies were up against. The German pilots of the time were flying the Faultwolf MW-190 Virgo fighter plane, which was 25 times the horsepower, meaning it could go 280 miles per hour and a max of 426 miles per hour and could climb 3,000 feet a minute and came equipped with the big giant-ass machine gun, uh, a few of them, like two, I think, which, as you remember, the Night Witches only had freaking hand pistols as their air-to-air combat weapons. They had heating in the cockpits, flying instruments, more than just a compass and a map, and they actually had parachutes. Mm, imagine that. This all sounds ridiculous, right? How in the world could these little planes and these women with their size 47 boots stuffed with newspaper cause so much fear? gain so much infamy, and change the course of the war itself. How is it possible that we're talking about the Night Witches today? (laughs) 
no, this isn't the introduction to a fancy Indian wedding, nor is it the introduction to the movie Mohabbatan, unfortunately for you guys, this is the promotion for my podcast, The Power of Bessa, and I, the host, Serena, will answer the burning question that's been on everybody's mind. Which historical figure should feature on the rupee? Because Gandhi is printed on every rupee note, I was wondering, where's everyone else? And this isn't just about the academics, you guys, it's also about you, the listeners. So, can you tell me, can you name any other historical Indian figure apart from Mahatma Gandhi and possibly Indra Gandhi? No? I didn't think so, which is exactly why I'm doing my podcast. And I'm not shy about who we talk about, so we're looking at men, women, high caste, low caste, kings, queens, controversial figures, politicians, basically any dark-filled corner of history is what I'm hoping to shine a light on. Anyway, enough of my ranting. This has been The Power of Bessa, spelt P-A-I-S-A. You can also follow me on Twitter under The Power of Bessa, imaginatively, and you can also tweet me about who you think should be featured on our next episode. Okay, I'm done now. Asian Crew out. Women are the shit. You know this. I know this. We know this. And these pilots did what women have been doing for forever, turning the shit hand that the world has dealt them into something amazing. I just gave you a laundry list of the bullshit the women of the 588th had to deal with and where you and I might see a hopeless situation, a suicide mission of sorts, up against those big-ass German fighter planes. They saw opportunity. They saw how they were going to make the best out of a bad situation. The 588th was created as a regiment of bombers. They were not meant to take on air combat, though it did happen from time to time. Their mission was to drop bombs, and their 1920s Polikarov U-2 biplanes turned out to be perfect for their mission in many ways. Let's start off with the plane itself. These polycarpov U-2 biplanes were made of wood and cloth, making them incredibly light. And we're going to get a little technical, but bear with me. The four forces are lift, thrust, drag, and weight. And if you get enough lift and thrust and you decrease your drag, you can counter an object's weight, and that's how you make things fly. Of course, this is a super simplified way to say it, but you get the gist. Since the U-2 biplanes were so light, they didn't need much thrust or lift to counteract their weight. This meant that they could glide for longer with their engine just cut off. But why the heck would you cut off? Why would you cut off an engine, TK? You You need that to stay in the air. I know. I know. I know you do. I thought the same. But no engine means almost no noise. And no noise means your enemy can't detect you. There were also no radios or electronic instruments in the cockpits either, remember? And this added another layer of sneakiness because they couldn't be detected on any radar at all. How cool is that? So here's what these stealthy ladies did. The pilots would fly close to their target and once they were close enough, they would fly super duper high in the sky and then cut off their engine and glide to their target undetected to about 500 meters above the target. No radio, no light, 
no sound, no detection of any kind. The only sound the German soldiers heard was the wind gliding over the plain. They said it was like the sound of a witch on her broom at night, and if you heard the sound, you were already dead. The sound the planes made while gliding is said to be the reason for the nickname, the Night Witches, but it's never been confirmed, just generally accepted. But the women loved that name and gladly used it with pride. Steve Procy, the author of the screenplay The Night Witches, a nonfiction account of the squadron, said they were basically ghosts and they were undetectable. The women used their plane's sneakiness to their full advantage. They would only fly at night and in big groups. Sometimes two planes would fly low and do the bombing while another few distracted the German gunners on the ground. The night witches would just take off one after another after another, flying several missions in a single night. Many would have multiple crashes in that time. In a New York Times interview, the night witch Nadzeta Popova recalls one girl managed to fly seven times to the front line and back in her plane. She would return shaking, and they would hang new bombs, refuel her plane, and she'd go off to bomb the target again. This is how we worked. Can you imagine? No, ma'am. No, ma'am, I cannot imagine that at all. By the end of the war, the night witches had flown 24,000 missions and dropped 23,000 tons of bombs. Each pilot flew over 800 missions in four years. In February of 1943, the 588th Regiment became the 46th Guards Night Regiment, which was an elite guards unit, and they were the only all-women elite guard unit. They wreaked so much havoc on the Nazi army that if a fighter pilot brought down a night witch, he would be automatically awarded the prestigious Iron Cross Medal, which was like a big deal for Nazis. Some Nazis thought the night witches had been injected with a drug to make them stronger and better. Others believed that they were actually witches when in reality they were simply smart, talented, and capable young women. At its largest, the night witches had 42-person crews, and in the end, 32 of these incredible women would lose their lives. One in four of all women in the Soviet Union who ever received the Soviet Hero Award were night witches. But as soon as the war ended, they were all but forgotten. Even after receiving the Soviet Union Hero Award, they were not allowed to fly in the victory parade because their planes were just too slow. And this seemingly tiny action, seemingly insignificant act, would basically erase the night witches from history. I have never left you on a down note, and I won't start now. It's time for our final thought, my friend. And I would like to tell you about Nadezda Popova. Unfortunately, Miss Popova passed away in 2013. She was the last living night witch, and in fact, one of the most decorated. She started flying when she was 15 years old, and by 18, she was already a flight instructor. In the first few months of the war, her brother was killed by Nazi troops. Wanting to take revenge and fight in her brother's honor, 
She looked to sign up for a pilot training, but was turned away. However, a few months later, the 588th would be created, and she was one of the first to sign up. She quickly became one of the best pilots. Her most memorable night was when she flew 18 missions in a single night, returning at daylight with hundreds of bullet holes in her plane and one in her helmet. In total, Miss Popova flew 852 missions in four years. In her final interview before her passing, she said, I sometimes stare into the blankness and close my eyes. I can still imagine myself as a young girl up there in my little bomber. And I ask myself, Nadia, how did you do it? Well, well, my sweet friend, that is all she wrote. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I did immensely, and I I got a little bit choked up there at the end, especially when I was reading uh, Miss Popova's interview with the New York Times. Whew, it got me. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and a review or supporting the podcast via Patreon. I've got some cool stuff there uh, if you feel so inclined to donating. We've got a bunch of new content coming soon, and if you're interested, there is a link in the show notes. In the show notes, you'll also find the link to the brand new For the Love of History merch store. Whoop, whoop. I just got my sweater and t-shirt the other day, and they are so comfy. But anyways, you can find every link that you could possibly imagine in the show notes or in Instagram. Be be sure to follow on Instagram. I, I talk about some cool stuff over there. It's pretty great. It's a happening place. But... Okay, that's it. I'm done. Have an excellent day. (laughs) Do something that makes you happy today. Drink your water. Take good care of yourself, friend. And I will talk to you on May 21st for episode 29, Victorian Nipple Rings. What a topic. Okay, bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. (laughs) Okay.